I had a friend in high school named Jason who told me one day that he'd got it all figured out. Be nice, he advised. That's what all the world's religions come down to. If everyone would just be nice, we'd have world peace. Now looking back on that day, I'm not sure whether Jason was saying this in earnest or whether he was being a little tongue-in-cheek. But I really wanted Jason to be right about this. Growing up during the Reagan years with the constant threat of nuclear war, I was ready to grab hold of anything that might shine the light of clarity on humanity's path. Be nice, I thought. That's it. It really is that easy. It wouldn't be the last time that I'd hear all religious conviction reduced to simply being nice. A couple years later, I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And I came across this phrase on the very first page. And then, one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change. It's funny in a Douglas Adams kind of way. But is it accurate? Was that really Jesus' entire message? Be nice? I guess I was still young enough to think that maybe, just maybe, somehow somebody in our day would figure out that one thing that would finally turn all the world into a utopia. When times are uncertain or outright frightening, we all wish for clarity and certainty. It's such a deep psychological need that human beings will even manufacture certainty without any data to support it just to feel better for a while. In our own time, Many people in our country have decided that the solution is not to be nice, but to be as mean as possible, to break all the systems to pieces as a form of vengeance against them, whoever they are, rich men north of Richmond maybe, or people who don't seem like they properly belong, the shadowy somebodies who are making us unhappy. And from this vague yet powerful discontent, come all sorts of destructive impulses that victimize entire groups of people while propping up liars and con men. So I really, really don't want to undersell the value of kindness. Given the choice, I'd always rather be nice. Yet niceness will not always shine a light through the fog in our lives. So what or who will? From the book of Deuteronomy today, we hear Moses telling the people, about the role of the prophet, somebody who can intercede with God for them. When we lack clarity and certainty, we want someone to provide it for us. But how can we know that such a person is trustworthy? We are not given much help with that here. We are told that the prophet must speak God's words. We're asked to believe that God said this to Moses and that Moses said this to the people and that everybody is now participating in a system that is rock solid and beyond doubt. But the question of false prophets versus true prophets does indeed become a problem, as evidenced by the writings of the supposedly true prophets. And in the end, the only litmus test we can find is the test of whether the words they spoke turned out to be true and helpful in the long run doesn't help us much on the same day. Looking back over the centuries, the ancient Jews identified which prophet's words should be preserved and which should not 
and now we have a Bible with 16 books of prophets in it. But does this help us feel better about those in whom we invest our trust as go-betweens with God today? I don't see how it could. The world today is no less confusing outside of what we decide we are certain about, rightly or wrongly. Today, we live in the era of science. And yes, the scientific method is the best tool humans have yet uncovered in the pursuit of certainty. You'll never hear me disapprove of the gathering of more data. Of course, the more time you spend working with science, the more you understand that science provides clarity of method, but not always clear results. And because God, the source of all existence, is completely undiscernible by the scientific method, science will never give us certainty about God's role in our lives. Well, let's get back to Jesus now. Maybe he can help. I've heard somewhere he can help. All the way back to the beginning of the church, Christians have identified Jesus as the very person Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy. Whereas Jewish tradition has always held that Moses was talking about the role of prophets in general. Who's right? And is that even the right question? Will it help us get any closer to certainty? I'm not sure it will. Yet Jesus certainly lived and worked among us. And we still have his words, or at least words that the earliest generations of his followers faithfully attributed to him. Today, we hear of Jesus and his disciples in the synagogue at Capernaum. And as Jesus teaches there, the people are amazed at the raw authority that he exudes. So powerful are his words that an evil spirit responds to Jesus through an unfortunate possessed person. One translation says, what have you to do with us? That's our translation, but I will render it, what it says, in something a little more directly translated from the Greek. What is ours and what is yours, Jesus of Nazareth? I like the implications of the Greek expression. How dare you come into territory that the evil powers have claimed? Stay in your lane, Jesus. This one's mine. And in response, Jesus says, be silent and come out of him. Our translation puts an exclamation point on that, but the Greek had no punctuation, so that's an editor's decision. Let's pause here and notice something. Anytime you're reading something out loud from the Bible, the tone of voice is completely up to you to provide. I'm saying this to our trained lectors because you have this responsibility. You can make the words dry and boring if you wish, or you can make the words overdramatic, or anything in between. And of any quality or timbre you choose, the power is in your hands. We'll talk about that more at our next lecture training on March 16th. So what are our options for Jesus' tone of voice here? Sometimes I like to imagine Jesus grabbing the possessed man by the shoulders and holding him firmly while shouting at the demon like a medical team strapping down a person who's having a seizure until they can inject the sedative. Be silent and come out of him! Yeah. Or maybe Jesus is weary of having to deal with these pesky evil forces and he's just done. Be silent and come out of him. On the other hand, on the third hand, I guess, Maybe Jesus needs to invest no human effort into this task. 
Maybe his serenity is as powerful as any obvious emotion. Maybe his presence and his bare words are more than enough to chase the evil away. Be silent and come out of him. Notice how different all these possibilities are. Mark doesn't tell us which tone of voice Jesus uses. It's up to us to provide that bit of clarity. And from it may follow theological assertions about what Jesus is like. But in none of these situations is Jesus merely being nice. He's not messing around. He will not negotiate or make peace with evil. The demon is contesting whose territory is whose, and Jesus very clearly responds, none of it is yours. All of it is mine, and I'm taking it back right now. Well, as they say, we all have our demons. Over time, I've come to believe that the more that we allow demons to lurk in our imaginations in a form that we might recognize from horror movies, the more power we are investing in them and the more helpless we will feel in their presence. We come to fear that they will never let us go, that perhaps we do indeed belong to these demons, whether they be mental illness, addiction, trauma, or literal supernatural beings, I don't know. But it doesn't help us to seek clarity about the nature of demons. Get clear about something else instead. What do you want God to do today? What is the nature of the healing you need? Speak it aloud. Do you need Jesus to take you back by force? Do you just need Jesus to show up gently and remind you that no evil force has ever held power over you for more than a fleeting moment and that there is redemption for every situation in your life? There is literally no place too impure for Jesus to tread. Are you still holding out for certainty or can a little bit of clarity be enough for now? The opposite of clarity, of course, is confusion. And Jesus is clearing the confusion away. He took the world back through nonviolent resistance. Wait, that worked? Yet 2,000 years later, even as evil continues to infect the world, Christians maintain the faith that evil has already lost. It is indeed difficult to maintain that faith sometimes. It's a mystery to us that standing in the way of evil's progress and dying might somehow be more powerful than violence and also more powerful than just rolling over. But standing up to bullies does indeed cast out demons, as does kindness to those who are vulnerable to bullying. Just don't get those mixed up. Being nice to the bullies means becoming unconcerned for those they victimize, and that way is all too comfortable. Demons do infect our public discourse, and lies burrow into our understanding of the world. Don't put up with that state of things. Don't just seek niceness, seek clarity. Sometimes life is all tumult and raging waters, but Jesus calls us from over and beyond it all. Follow me. To follow Jesus means to relax into the divine assurance that all things, 
Even the evil happenings all around us are ultimately held in God's embrace and are in the process of being transformed. Well, it also means, following Jesus also means screwing our courage to the sticking place because life is long and it's not over yet and transformation and reconciliation will demand all the love we can give. So pray for peace. And begin by praying for a little bit of clarity, at least enough to see the next steps on our path. Amen.